Hey everyone, today we're closing up with Dr. Lara Debkin. You may have seen her famous lip plumper and eyelash serum on TikTok. She's not only a world-renowned plastic surgeon, but also has her own skincare line, Scientific Beauty, and is a mother of six children. In this episode, Lara unpacks popular misconceptions surrounding plastic surgery and explains how it's more about helping people feel the best in their own skin. Tune in to hear her advice on how to balance your personal and professional life and how Lara defines beauty. Hey everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up with the Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today, we are sitting down with world-renowned plastic surgeon, CEO, just all-around boss lady, Dr. Lara Devgan. Thank you so much for coming by today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. Um, I was reading all about you and following you on Instagram, and I'm just truly impressed with the amount of things that you do. You're a full-time plastic surgeon. You have this incredibly successful skincare line. You're a correspondent on ABC. Tell me a little bit about your journey and you know how you've gotten to where you are right now. Well, just <laughs> one day at a time. <laughs> um, first and foremost, professionally, I'm a plastic surgeon and I focus on surgical and non-surgical procedures for the face, breast, and body. Um, I also am really passionate about minimally invasive approaches to health and wellness. And I really think that's the future of this field. And um, that, along with my background in science and medicine, led me to my skincare line, um, which I founded a couple of years ago. And it's a medical grade luxury skincare line that really focuses on science-driven, ingredient-driven products. Um, and then on top of that, I love just normal stuff. I'm a wife and mother of six small kids. Oh my and, goodness. Um, and I like writing and media and um, reading and, you know, art, consuming what's going on in the world. So did you always know from a young age that you wanted to be a plastic surgeon? How did you fall into no, that field? No, I didn't. I, am, I grew up loving writing and art. And I grew up as a classically trained artist. And that was kind of my background. In college, I loved science classes and gravitated toward pre-med stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and in my undergrad um, at, at Yale, I was an English major, but I did a lot of biochemistry classes and all the pre-med requirements and kind of felt really drawn to the idea of a career based on helping other people and getting to know people in um, kind of a health-based way. Um, and then in medical school, I really found that plastic surgery was the perfect combination of art and anatomy. Mm -hmm. And it's this beautiful marriage of aesthetics and details, but also the intricacy of anatomic function and form. And it's really a great field for me. I feel so lucky. Like every day I wake up and I'm like so lucky that I have this career that I found because it's very well suited to my personality type. It's extremely detail oriented. It's beautiful. It's pristine. Um, and I think there's a huge opportunity for us right now in 2021 to kind of redefine what the world thinks of as plastic surgery. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people, including like my husband will be like plastic surgery. It's so taboo. Like you don't need plastic surgery to like 
be beautiful, but I think like you're probably changing people's lives and making them like feel a certain way about themselves, you know? Yeah, and I mean, first and foremost, the media perception of what plastic surgery is, is just the furthest thing from the truth. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's crap and, <laughs> um, and it's totally false. It's a completely false narrative, you know? And I think this idea of big exaggerated features and playboy bunnies and fast cars and ostentatious displays of wealth, it has nothing to do with what actually being a board certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon is, you know, plastic and reconstructive surgery is a field that involves, um, reconstruction of facial fractures. If you're in a traumatic car accident, mm-hmm. burn wound injuries and reconstruction of those craniofacial anomalies, cleft lip and palate babies born with, um, anomalies. It involves the entire spectrum of hand surgery, including broken bones in your hands, tendon last lacerations, nerve injuries. It involves free tissue transfer. (laughs) So transplanting one part of the body onto another part, face transplants, hand transplants, arm transplants, that's all plastic surgery. And then the hugest part of plastic surgery is reconstruction after cancer, Mm -hmm. any kind of cancer, whether it's a skin cancer, a breast cancer, sarcoma, cancer anywhere on your body. A plastic surgeon is the person who's going to rebuild you. Yep. And there's this beautiful quote I like from this um, uh, famous plastic surgeon um, from hundreds of years ago who said that plastic surgery is not about delighting the eye. It's about restoring what restoring what nature and circumstance have taken away from us. Mm-hmm. And if you really think about the heart of what plastic surgery is, it's about allowing people to feel comfortable and feel confident in their own skin, no 100%. matter what has happened to them. So, you know, the idea of the caricatures coming out of LA, which is my hometown. So yeah. <laughs> uh, interestingly, you know, that that's not what it really is. Yeah, and definitely. even in the world of cosmetic plastic surgery, you know, I grew up feeling almost oppressed by the images that were on the covers of magazines where we feel like a beauty standard is being thrown at us and shoved down our throats and you have to look like this and be like that and have this body type and that hair color and this kind of cute little ski slopey nose and Mm -hmm. this is what you're supposed to be. And I really think about my role in plastic surgery as redefining what modern beauty is. And I really think of it as the freedom to be your own kind of beautiful on your own terms, whatever that means to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I totally agree. And I think, you know, even with cosmetic plastic surgery, there are are things that can really bother you about yourself. And then just a little bit, like a little fix can bring like a whole new like view of your own self and like your own self-love. Totally. It's about confidence and just, you know, it's part of the human condition to want to present your best self to the world, whatever that means to you, whether it means wearing that favorite pair of sweatpants that you love to wear or working (laughs) on your abs in the gym or parting your hair in a certain way or doing some Botox because you don't like wrinkles, you know, it's all kind of this spectrum. Yeah, totally. And like you don't necessarily have to go like out of control and like look like a cartoon character when that comes along. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So... When did you decide to, you know, start your skincare line? Like what inspired you to do that? Skincare is one of these little daily habits that can really add up over time. And, you know, you'd never imagine 
not brushing your teeth and showing up at your dentist's office twice a year for a cleaning. You know, mm-hmm. they'd laugh you right out of there and you'd need all the drilling in the world. Um, but people who um, underestimate the importance of skincare in a way are underestimating how a little bit of, you know, one minute a day, two minutes a day, a little bit of these little daily habit modifications can not only improve the way you feel, but can also improve the health and well-being of your skin. Mm -hmm. So for me, I started my skincare line as a way to extend my surgical and non-surgical treatments to the patients that I was taking care of in the office. And to be totally honest, it was just simply luck and totally unexpected serendipity that it became this huge other thing. That's amazing. Um, what was like the first product that you started with? I started with um, kind of an edited, curated collection of the, the basics. So um, a vitamin C, B, E, ferulic acid serum, hyaluronic serum, retinol, bakuchiol serum, um, a peptide-based eye cream. Um, our most famous products are our platinum lip plump and platinum long lash. And those them. are, yeah, <laughs> those have been trending on TikTok made me buy it. So that, that's been really funny and awesome. Um, anyway, it's a whole complement of products, but um, I never anticipated that they would become popular outside of my office. And it, the whole thing has been mind blowing for me. What would you say to someone like me? So I just turned 30 and I really have been struggling to find like a skincare routine or things. There's so much out there and like so much to like sift through, like what products to use, like what are like the basics of someone who's like transitioning from being someone who never really thought about their skincare besides like acne here and there. And now I'm like having to think about, you know, anti-age and like exactly um, prevention, (laughs) you know? Okay. Here's the, here's my big picture thesis statement. (laughs) Think of your skin like a fabric, like your favorite, most beautiful cashmere sweater that you have owned since you were born and you want to wear it every day for the rest of your life. You know, you're not going to throw that thing in the washing machine. You're going to hand wash it, take care of it, meticulously fold it. The skin is the ultimate fabric, right? We're wearing it every minute. It's exposed to all the elements and it needs to last for a long time. So my main thesis statement is that prevention is better than cure. So the best time to start thinking about a skincare routine and maintenance is when you still have the skin that you'd like to maintain. So, you know, it's late 20s, early 30s is a great time to medicalize your skincare regimen. Um, I would say at that age, you're still coasting on the joy of beauty of youth. And so you don't need tons of stuff. The basic essentials, I would say, are a hyaluronic acid serum and peptide eye cream and SPF in the morning vitamin CBE, ferulic, and a retinol bakuchiol at night. And then if you're good with that, maybe you throw in a microdermabrasion scrub a couple of days a week. And that little basal maintenance is the equivalent of brushing and flossing your teeth um, for your skin. And it will decrease or delay or eliminate your need for Botox. It will decrease, delay, or eliminate your need for laser resurfacing will decrease the depth of etched creases that happen over time. You really want to think about aging, not as being afraid of getting older, but just protecting your health and wellness and the assets that you're lucky enough to be born with. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a healthy and non-obsessional way to think about skincare. So you don't have to go like super overboard with things like that's just like just the basics. Yeah. And I think there's more that can be done. But 
for me and for a lot of people, taking on an 11-step skincare regimen can be <laughs> totally overwhelming. And, you know, it takes 21 days to build a habit and mm-hmm. it takes 66 days to make it second nature. So if you overwhelm yourself with some 11-step, 25-step thing that you can only keep up for two days, you might as well not even do it. Like yeah. the, the best products are ones that you're actually using. So I think a small number of higher quality, more effective products is where you want to be. Totally. And when do you think is the best time to start Botox? Because I'm like, oh, I hit 30. Like, I got to start having Botox done. So if the skin is like a piece of paper, if you fold it a lot of times, you're going to etch into Mm -hmm. it deeply um, creased wrinkles. And to the extent that you can do a little bit of baby micro droplet Botox to prevent the deep etching of lines, I do think there's a role for that. Now, if you don't care, you absolutely should not do Botox. I am not here to tell everyone to do Botox. <laughs> um, I'm just here to say that it's an option. And if you want to be kind of a skin achiever, or if, <laughs> if, if you care about that kind of stuff, there's a way to do it so that you have full movement of your face, you look normal, you don't have crazy weird eyebrows, you don't look frozen, but you just feel slightly fresher. And um, everything in plastic surgery is a spectrum. It's like mm-hmm. the dimmer on a light switch. You can be dark or you can be bright or you can literally be anywhere in between. Mm-hmm. And the thing I hate most about questions about plastic surgery and kind of the negative overall societal stigma about it is this gut reaction feeling that either you're a person of substance or you're a superficial plastic surgery junkie who's obsessed with how you look. And the truth is that we are all somewhere in between and Mm -hmm. you can absolutely care about your brain and the world around you and your job and your family and your friends and still also want to present your best self to the world. So if you care about Botox, there's a way to do it that's going to be just right for you and your unique facial anatomy and desires and goals. If you don't care about it, you should never let anyone make you feel pressured into doing it. What I also think is so cool about what you do is how you use social media, um, to kind of revamp and like revitalize this like industry that's been going on forever. Like it blows my mind because I don't see a lot of doctors or plastic surgeons like use like Instagram or TikTok as successfully as you do. So can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to do that? I think it's because I like them. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's because it's genuine. And, um, you know, I think that Instagram and TikTok and social media in general is just an extension of who you are. Mm -hmm. And um, it can be great or it can be not so great because it amplifies someone. Um, What I have done with these platforms is just try to integrate them into my life. I try to be, I I try to lean into myself. So I just try to be super academic, thoughtful. You know, I think about surgical procedures and I just throw out terms and introduce anatomic characteristics. I just like talk about what I do. And um, when I was first thinking about how to be on social media, I thought to myself like, oh, okay, do I need to do a dance to this song? Because everybody else is doing that. (laughs) And like, what is the bus it challenge? And like, what on earth? You know, so like I had these moments where I'm like, what do I do? But then I decided, you know what? 
this is just an amplification of real life that if if the cell phone is the new computer, then mm-hmm. Instagram and TikTok are the new website. And whatever you want to put into the world, just put them into the world in that way. And I think that um, in that way, you can really just show people what you do. Yeah. And that's all I do. I mean, 99% of what I post is just before and after photos or yeah. videos. Hey everyone, Olivia here. Hope you're enjoying our episode. Our clear-cut collection features fine jewelry pieces inspired and designed with you in mind. Our collection is ever-changing and each piece is handmade and made to order here in New York City. Don't forget to check it out and use the code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, for free shipping on any purchase. And um, are any of your clients like hesitant to be like featured on your social media? Oh, yeah, totally. It's completely (laughs) voluntary. I would say only about 5% of my patients um, consent to release Mm -hmm. their images. And so um, we would never want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. So it's absolutely not required. Yeah. We get, you know, a written and signed and verbal consent, three different consents before sharing any yeah. images. <laughs> and it's totally optional. So. I mean, I find it so fascinating. I was telling you, I was like in a dark hole on your Instagram the other day. Mm-hmm. And First of all, the non-surgical nose jobs blow my mind how that's possible. <laughs> I was talking to um, Natalie about it earlier. I was like, look at this. How is there no surgery involved? Can you tell me about that? Like how you can just do just small injections and literally like change the whole shape of your yeah, nose. Yeah, it's very hard to explain, but it's literally <laughs> what been one of the greatest joys of my career to participate in the development and refinement of the non-surgical rhinoplasty. And you really have to look at my Instagram to know what I'm talking yeah. about. So do that, um, Laura Dafkin MD, and you can understand what I'm talking about. But um, basically with a non-surgical rhinoplasty, we're treating injectable filler as if it's a surgical cartilage graft. And if you think of the nose as um, like a tent, by adjusting the position and shape of the tent poles, you can adjust the way the canvas overlies the tent and that can change the contour of the nose. And is that something that you have to like constantly maintain or? Injectable fillers last one to two years in a vacuum, but in real life, most people maintain them at the halfway point. So at six to 12 months, it's kind of like keeping your gas tank filled up at the medium level before the light's blinking and it's empty. And so um, there is a little bit of maintenance involved, but it's truly changed the landscape in terms of the way we think about the cosmetic approach to the nose, because probably 80 to 90% of patients who have nasal concerns can be helped by a non-surgical rhinoplasty. Yeah, because rhinoplasty is like a very invasive surgery, right? Yeah, and I do a lot of rhinoplasty surgery as well, and I love that operation, but it's a big surgery. Mm -hmm. It's under general anesthesia. You have a splint on your face for a week. Full healing takes a year or more. It's it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, One thing I always want to ask people is the past year with like COVID and all this craziness, and I'm sure with you having, you know, your practice, what has changed in like your like business and landscape and what have you learned? It's been a tough year, Mm -hmm. right, for the whole world. And I think 2020 was really a time of tremendous social suffering and, um, you know, on a very basic level, my practice closed for three months mm-hmm. from March through June during the worst part of COVID in New York City. And during that time, 
we donated personal protective equipment and medical supplies to the area hospitals. You know, this was back when we didn't have enough of anything. Um, I listed my ventilator um, from my operating room wow. on the New York State donation list so that it could be used by somebody who didn't have a vent. We were kind of in those bleak days. It feels really far away to look back on it, but it actually was not even that long ago. Um, but those were very difficult days. Mm -hmm. You know, there. There was, um, we all went through it, right? We didn't leave our house. And um, we, my my family lives in New York City and it was it was weird to be holed up in an apartment with six kids and a husband. <laughs> and um, we were all kind of just trying to get through it. But mm -hmm. it was, the, the scope of global suffering was so crazy. We, there was a morgue truck parked outside of Lenoxville Hospital on 77th and Park and whenever either my husband or I would go out to just pick up groceries with a mask on and gloves and all of that stuff, it was a daily visual reminder mm -hmm. of the terrible state of the world. And I think, I think 2020 was a year of huge reckoning because it made us all think about the world outside of ourselves. I, you know, I think we all have friends or family members or colleagues who have gotten ill or died I've had friends who've gone through some very bad situations because all my doctor friends are, you know, in some way exposed to the virus. Um, I think with the murder of George Floyd and the civil rights movement of our generation that happened thereafter, we all were kind of forced to look inward and think about all our subconscious biases and the society we inherited. You know, I think I mean, I'm saying the obvious, but it was it was a bad year. Mm -hmm. But yet it was a year that really pushed us toward growth and kind of the major societal zeitgeist control all delete that we all needed to um, kind of get organized. And I think as a result of that, I personally really feel like I did um, some soul searching about what the point of my life was and why I'm here on earth. And, um, you know, what did it mean to me to not have a job that I did every day? And how could I be a better parent? How can I leave this place a little bit better than I found it? What can I do that's within my skill set and my special gifts that can um, help society writ large? Um, so that's sort of some of the things that I've been thinking about a lot in this past year. And, um, and I think, um, personally it helped me simplify my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, it made me realize that all of those nights of going to happy hours and cocktail parties from six to 8 PM, three nights a week, like, you know, I didn't miss that one bit. Mm -hmm. And I, I did miss the time with my kids and my husband. And it made me realize that maybe I wasn't being as good of a mom as I should have been because I was always on my cell phone. It's like a calf phoning it in when my kids were trying to talk to me. And maybe I needed to look at my life balance a little bit. And it made me realize the importance of the people who I'm meeting, you know, with my patients. I, one thing that I've started to do is try to ask everybody a non-essential question and just like sit and listen to them and learn something from them. And then I think, in terms of my industry, weirdly, I think nobody expected this, but it's been a huge boom for plastic surgery. It's the busiest time of my entire life and career. Crazy. And, um, and I think um, people are seeking 
the feeling of a little bit more freshness. You know, it's been very stressful. The mm -hmm. pandemic has aged us. We all have grayer yes. hair. Our Botox is worn off. We all look tired. <laughs> people. Oh my God. Coming, coming out of like people, May, I was very disheveled. People are, people are struggling. And then, you know, you kind of want to present yourself for the life you want and it, it can be a little tricky. So, um, interestingly, people are opting for a little bit of a more subdued approach. People want a little bit more subtlety. It's the era of the large buttocks and very large lips is over. I mean, it never really was there in my practice, but societally it's over. Um, and I think that we're all behaving in a way that is a little bit more mature, a mm -hmm. little bit more deliberate, a little more subdued kind of a bit more serious. There's less spontaneity, there's less joy, there's less frivolity, but I think it feels good in a way. Like my family and I do puzzles and bake on weekends. <laughs> it's like, it's so wholesome. wholesome yeah. <laughs> um, do you have advice to any other like mothers who are, you know, working full time? I mean, you have six kids. Like, I know there's no like Everyone says like there's balance or whatnot, but do you have any advice for, you know, someone who wants to start a family or like um, is tr struggling with that balance? I think there's no perfect time to have a family. And if it's something that's important to you, it's never going to feel like the right time. Okay. You're never going to feel like it's this is the moment where I've gotten all my ducks in a row. I'm going to do it. And I think to the extent that you do plan that, it doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to. So I think there are so many ways to be happy. If you don't want to have kids, you shouldn't feel forced to because society tells you you need 2.2 children in order to be happy. You should do what you want to do. If you want to have children, to me, it never felt like the right time, but I'm, I could not be more thrilled that it, that it worked out for me. Um, I think that you... You know, the, the secret of having it all is knowing that you literally can't have it all. That's mm -hmm. the stupidest expression in the world. <laughs> you can't have it all. Everything is about controlled sacrifices. And you just have to figure out how to sacrifice and when and when to give more to some things and when to give more to other things. And there have been times in my life when, you know, when I was studying for my boards, I'd go to the library every day. And this was like in my 30s. I was a full adult with three children and a husband. I'd go to the library every weekend day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And my leave my husband with like baby twins and a toddler. Oh, wow. And he's a literal saint. But, um, you know, you have to figure it out. And then there are other times when I'm on vacation with my kids or playing with them on the weekends, I really focus on them and their well-being. When I'm with my patients in surgery, there's nothing that I'm thinking about besides the surgical outcome and how to make it perfect in every little millimeter. So I think maybe my message is try monotasking, try not multitasking, mm -hmm. try focusing on one thing that you're doing, the thing right in front of you and doing it well. And when you're done with that thing, then do something else. I agree with that. Like focus on everything. Like I feel good when I go home and I like don't think about work anymore because otherwise you can, it can just be like constant or like constantly like on Instagram or like constantly thinking about like what content to make or anything like that. And so it's better to just like focus on one thing and do it right. Totally. Um, so what do you see for, what are your future plans, your future goals, your hopes and aspirations? 
My God, I have so many. I'm like a real <laughs> list maker. So I have the 25 goals at any minute. But, um, you know, I think about my goals in different categories. In terms of my um, medical practice, my goals are to continue to really elevate and inspire um, my patients to feel like the best versions of themselves. Um, I'm always trying to innovate surgically and non-surgically in the operating room, in the procedure room. You know, there's a new generation of products always coming out, new devices. Um, I consult for many different companies in my industry and I'm really working on pushing technology forward. I think the future of plastic surgery Besides my philosophical thoughts about modern beauty, I think the future of it technically is doing more with less. So smaller incisions, less invasiveness, less downtime. You know, can we do stuff non-surgically? I think the black box is non-surgical skin tightening and tissue regeneration. Um, in terms of my skincare line, um, we're launching into a number of different verticals. We have a bunch of um, uh, retail launches planned. So we had an amazing launch at Sephora. We're launching with Net-A-Porter, which is um, helping to take us worldwide. Oh, wow. So that will allow us to expand into Europe, Asia, and the Middle East and more. Um, and that's happening later this month. And then our additional verticals that we're going into have included... Um, apparel and accessories and really excitingly um, nutraceuticals um, and so we have some really cool products coming out that have been vetted and tested and um, can be really amazing products and um, we have three gummy nutraceuticals coming out mm -hmm. um, beauty bears which is a supplement for hair skin nails eyelashes and eyebrows um, multi bears which is kind of your daily dose of all you need in a multivitamin and collagen hearts which is um, an all plant-based vegan digestible form of um, collagen amino acids and peptides to help support overall health and wellness so those are the exciting things that we're working on with that and then just in terms of personal growth i want to make sure that I'm helping my kids figure out how to have a social conscience. And obviously I want them to be smart and learn stuff. And we're doing that in parallel with their teachers. But more importantly, when I think about the next generation, my kids and also just everybody, I think about how do we teach the next generation to make good decisions and to be good people, not just to get good grades and not just to mm -hmm. do the right things on their resume and get into the college of choice or whatever, but how do we teach them to make tricky decisions and think about them in an ethical way? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's awesome. I'm excited for all the new um, things in your line too. Yeah, they'll be really good. <laughs> Amazing. Well. Um, if you can let everyone know where they can follow you, are you accepting new patients right now? Yes, of course. <laughs> um, and, and you know, where they can find your products and all of that good stuff. Okay, amazing. Well, you can find me on Instagram at Lara Devgan MD or on my burgeoning TikTok cha uh, channel, Lara <laughs> Devgan MD also. Um, and you can shop my skincare line at drlaradevgan.com, but really just follow me on Instagram and I'll, you can swipe up to stuff. Awesome. Um, and it was so fun chatting with you. Yeah, I was so excited to meet you and um, I'm so excited for all the things that are coming soon. Thank you. Awesome. 
Thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you gained a new perspective on plastic surgery and how we define beauty. If you want to go into a deep rabbit hole on looking at Dr. Devgin's um, non-surgical rhinoplasties, check out her Instagram at Dr. Lara Devgin.